Now, I know you guys, let me just say one thing. I know you guys don't believe that story, but when I was a Packer player and we returned to uh, Lambeau after beating the 49ers and they were coming off of a world title the year before, and I'm sitting in my locker at Lambeau Field and uh, one of my teammates said, look, and he showed me a newspaper. And that, in that newspaper was when I sat Joe Montana and underneath, uh, there was caption about uh, breaking to a... Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Neil. How about yourself? I'm doing Great fantastic. Speaking to our guest. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, he's played on many different professional football teams. He has a tremendous story, Blaze Winter. Blaze, thanks for stopping by, man. And you know what? We knew we I interviewed you maybe seven years ago, wasn't it, Blaze? Yes, it was. Um, I'm really happy to be with you. Absolutely. Let's talk about you know your biggest highlights of your career in the NFL. Blaze, what would you say they were? Well, <laughs> um, laid on top of Joe Montana. I mean, it, it's always nice to hear a quarterback squeal. Um, and and to, to hear him lose breath as I laid on top of him. I, I really enjoyed that, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> Good, Greg. That's crazy. Blaze, when did you get excited about being in the NFL when you were a kid? Now, I know you guys. Let me just say one thing. I know you guys don't believe that story, but when I was a Packer player, and we returned to uh, Lambeau after beating the 49ers, and they were coming off of a world title the year before, and I'm sitting in my locker at Lambeau Field, and uh, one of my teammates said, look, and he showed me a newspaper. And that, in that newspaper was when I sat Joe Montana, and underneath, uh, there was a caption about uh, breaking two of his ribs. So, uh, and a lot of people don't believe uh, when they first hear it, uh, because they, they, you know, they, they believe that I'm trying to stretch the truth, but... Um, you know, those are some of the fondest memories. Obviously, playing with Junior Seau was another amazing uh, uh, time in my life. And, you know, being a part of a Super Bowl with the Chargers. And, and there's so many, it's hard to just name one. It, ma it makes complete sense, Blaze. What I want to go back to the question is, now that Super Bowl, was it a fond memory for you, even though it was you lost that Super Bowl? Well, you know, we, we, you know Lucy is... is you know, the taste right afterwards is not what you want. Um, many days or weeks or months later, you realize that you did something with a group of guys that was um, rather special. And, and, and um, you know, those are the members you hold on to. I mean, you look at the AFC ring, even though we lost to the Niners, uh, you look at it and you say to yourself, I mean, this is, uh, there's only a handful of men on this earth that have, uh, achieved that. So I'm, I was glad to be part of the journey. Uh, Bobby Ross was uh, an amazing uh, head coach. And um, the people I played with, um, uh, you know, Mason Means, uh, um, Stan Humphrey, Junior Seau, Wesley O'Neill, uh, um, you know, they, they're just amazing athletes all around you. So later on, after you, after you, sort of get over the initial uh we got whipped uh you feel good about having a chance to be uh in, in the dance 
at the very end. And, and um, I'll, I'll always remember that in a fond way. Go ahead, Greg. What question you have for him? Yeah, well, I'm going to ask my first question again, Blaze. When did you decide to get into football when you were a kid? And when did you know that you were going to be in the NFL? Well, you know, football for me when I was a kid was a way out. And I'm not saying a way out of, you know, the ghetto. I'm not saying a way out of trouble. It was a way out of personal misery. I mean, when you're, when you're born with a hole in the middle of your face, and you don't know how to handle it, and everybody else is looking at you as you walk down the school hallways in a rather strange way, and you can't really hold a conversation with them because you haven't learned how to speak until you're going to get to high school level. Your life is tough, and, and you magnify that. As a young person, you turn it into a, a mountain, and, and you make it almost a life and death situation and football was a way out for me. It was a way to capture what was in my mind. And what was in my mind is, Hey man, I belong out here. And nobody asked me to, you know, open my mouth. Nobody asked me to look pretty. Nobody asked me to sound like a movie star. Uh, I was able to put on a helmet with a lot of bars across my face put that helmet on, strap it up. And I was like everybody else until the end of the game, I was better than anybody else. So for me, it was a neutralizer to those that were Hollywood in the hallways, for those that were, you know, GQ in the hallways. Yeah, I may never, you know, ended up with the girl that I wanted in high school but I ended up with an amazing woman many years later that I've had by my side for, you know, 30 plus years. So, you know, football was a way out of the personal misery uh, that I created in my life because I wanted to look Hollywood. I wanted to sound like a movie star. I wanted to be something special when I walked down the hallways. Uh, but I realized that um, it wasn't going to happen in the hallway, so it happened on the football field. Yeah, and that's that's such an amazing story, Blaze. And you talked to me before. That story still is out there, right? You've had some conversations with people and stuff like that, and this has not disappeared, the, the amazing story that you had to overcome to be in the NFL. Well, the Wolver family um, has a, a production team, and they've contacted me recently about Try to get this thing on the on on the screen uh, in the movies. Um, I, I felt like what when they called me about two months ago, and I had a conversation with one of the the, the people in the production team. Uh, I I just was blown away with me, and they said, "Yeah, you're you're a true life Rocky story." And somehow they did their research and they found that you've gone through a lot. And, um, you know, I'd much rather have uh, your listeners see me as I talk, but I'm really happy to be with you. And, and uh, maybe one day people will realize that I'm a fighter. I'm not going to lay down for anybody. I'm not going to roll up and just wilt away and die. I'm going to make a name for myself because I choose to. 
And uh, no matter if it's on a football field or um, writing a book or just being in front of a, a bunch of uh, high school athletes, um, I'm going to have an impact on lives. And, um, you know, the mission is uh, what it is. And, and I've lived that mission for many, many years. Well, that's amazing, Blaze. I, I love that story. It's very inspiring to hear. Do you ever get out to be able to talk to youth or other organizations to try to help other kids that might be dealing with uh, maybe not as the same circumstance, but other circumstances to inspire and encourage them, bring them along in life? The NFL opened that door for me. I, I really thought it was like, who's going to ask me to do, you know, share my story uh, and, and I was wrong. A lot of people asked me, as soon as my career was uh, over and I had a book, there's a book out there called A Reason to Believe. I, uh, the um, co-author um, uh, uh, wrote the, the Jack Payne story. Uh, they called me an assassin. Uh, um, and and uh, Bill Kushner um, uh, co-wrote the book. And I... I, I you know, I went out on a circuit and people were, were amazed at, you know, hearing the story. And the NFL is the reason the doors open. And, and I've been in front of over 3,000 groups. And then I stopped pouting because I thought it was funny that the helmet now was off. You know, the bars were covering my face. People were staring at me as they sat in these convention rooms. Um wanted to know well, what's your secret and uh, you know i had to expose myself in so many words and i had to do the same thing with the with the book i mean people don't know the hardships i went through as a child uh besides uh the hole in my face the domestic violence that i went through in my household uh, my father wasn't a nice man he came over to his country on the bottom of a freighter he was divided from eight brothers and sisters. And why did he run to the U.S.? Because the Nazis were after my grandfather. And imagine what kind of person that was, my father. Uh, uh, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't real nice. He was very cautious. And he was very concerned about day-to-day -day life. So I had to share these things to the audiences that I would be in front of. No matter if it was a high school group, elementary, corporate America, but it, it started to avalanche. I mean, it rolled. I mean, I went on to have a 14 years of doing 125 talks a year. This is a kid that wasn't able to speak well enough to be understood in middle school. Oh. I mean, I was in speech therapy my junior year of high school try to pronunciate apple the right way and 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 people know none of this all they know is oh look at you you're a great football player so you have to open your mouth to the group and the helmet's not hiding your ugliness it's really hard at first and then you realize almost like the high school pep rally you realize i, I gotta say something and you just let it go and you learn to be fearless you learn to be fearless. Neil, you know what I'm talking about. You learn to be fearless in your approach. And, and that's why you wanted me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Greg has a final question. He asks all the celebrities, Blaze. Go ahead, Greg. 
All right, Blaze, you're an amazing guy. I've, I've enjoyed this so much. And, you know, you really touched my heart with your life and your story. But let me ask you this question. Blaze, what do you feel is the most important thing in life that you've ever learned? Uh, to understand that can't do it alone. People have to start to build back to one another uh, the understanding that they're important. They're important to the journey that you are, are in and on. You can't do this alone. My mother was there. My father in his own bizarre way was there. My coaches were there. At Syracuse University, there was a four-wheel drive. Three other guys that were part of my success that also went on to the NFL. Amazing story for another day. But it's about people, and it's about understanding how to trust other people and judge other people. My mom always said this to me. My mom said to me, only judge another human being over a period of time where you have time to evaluate if they really are who they are, you'll know who to what, use and have, you can help from. And, and, and I say it because in this day and age, it's always about divide, reasons why we should push away the other person. And, and when I was on a Super Bowl football team or a high school football team, or a college football team, uh, I, I learned how important it was because I realized today more than ever before, I am nothing without other people. Wow. And, and those other people have to be on the same type of journey that I'm on, which is searching for excellence and all you do. Wow. And it's always been about the fight. The last thing I'll say is I live by a creed, a creed. And that creed is F-I-W, fight I will. That is what I live by. That is what I'll die by. And I want other people in my life that are also F-I-W, fight I will. And when I have a team of people like that, we can do anything. And it doesn't have to be uh, a white, black, yellow, or green. My mentor is Jose St. Victor. He's a black man my mom handed me off to in my grade. He's been a mentor to me my whole life. It has nothing to do with color. It has nothing to do with why we should divide. It has, to, it has to focus on why we should come together and solve problems, not create more. All right. Blaze, that was fantastic. We appreciate it. Where's the best place people can find information on you, Blaze? Um, my email, blaze at blazewinter.com. Um, uh, again, uh, uh, there's phone numbers. I have a website out there. You know, I, I love working with kids. I love working with coaches. And uh, you and I have to, you know, continue this on another day. All right. We appreciate it, Blaze. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Blaze. Be well. Okay. That was Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Take care. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Amanda Fry. She's the COO and Head of Operations at Talent Crowd, a referral-based hiring platform that brings North America's best techies to top companies and teams. 
Amanda is a caring and transparent technology exec whose career spans more than 17 years of diverse experience across organizational strategy, DevOps, people ops, and product development. Amanda leverages her exceptional people magic skills to drive consensus among constituents as part of fostering proactive change and solutions. She's also the author of Kind's Transparency, due to be released later this year. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks. Great to be here. All right. So, you know, I love, uh, I, you know, I love talking to anyone who's in tech. So tell me a little bit how you got involved in tech, you know, kind of your journey, how you got yeah. there and, and what you love most about it today. Yeah, I think like a lot of people, you kind of just end up in tech. You know, some people want to start there, but um, my journey was a little bit different. So I started in sales. So sales operations, inside sales, moved into outside sales, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then I found some need. Um, part of sales is implementation and making sure that things go well. So I got uh, kind of <laughs> roped into project management and project management, you know, was a natural transition into technology, which I, I found that I love. So from there, moved into other uh, technology roles, uh, doing technical product management. I really love and have found enjoyment in building products. Um, and then I had the opportunity to move into management, which is really where I found, I think, my niche. Um, helping people, teaching people really is where I think a lot of people, especially women in technology, um, are really successful because it's so valuable um, growing people and, and technology is not going anywhere, right? <laughs> so it's something that, you know, as we keep moving forward and technology keeps growing, it's just going to be more and more important. That's great. You talk about people magic skills. I want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. So for me, people magic is, you know, really understanding the people that you're working with, you're working for, that are working for you and meeting them where they're at. You know, not everybody is, you know, prepared for the role that they're in or prepared for the thing that you're about to ask them to do. So it's really about understanding where somebody is at in their journey what kind of motivations they have, what sort of needs they have to be successful and helping them with that. Um, and that's what I really enjoy doing is working with different types of people. I work, I work with engineers, I work with developers, I work with project managers, and everybody has different personalities and different strengths. And, you know, it's kind of like that quote, if you um, compared everybody that is in school um, exactly the same, they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be uh, fairly evaluated. Everybody has different streaks and opportunities and you just have to find where they're at and bring them out in people. How challenging is that to do something like that? Because I mean, I'm a former teacher. I understand in a classroom of 30 kids in elementary, middle school, high school that Oh man, they're totally different in so many different aspects and you have to be able to figure them out. And I've been able in school teaching. I have been, but when I've gotten into entrepreneurship with teams, I've done decently. I still feel I struggle with it because I want to do everything. And then I forget about, Hey, they have different strengths, allow them to take care of their strengths. Don't try to always be micromanaging or I'm not managing at all and saying, how do I handle it? And I've, always, and I've had, and I wouldn't say I'm the best manager 
What, what do you yeah. think that that skill set to kind of really figure each person out how they're different? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is very difficult and very much like teaching, I feel. Um, in school, there is a standardization of what the expectations are. And if you think about it in business and in the real world, there is that sort of standardization as well of what the baseline expectations are. Now, I think that that's changing, especially now since COVID and everybody's realizing that we can have these more flexible roles and we can have um, flexible workspaces, but there still kind of is a, a baseline expectation. So when people aren't striving immediately to meet that baseline, it is hard to step back, especially when you've got deadlines and priorities and you're short staffed and all of these things that come along with it. So for me, it's always take a breath. <laughs> you know, I always have to remind myself, okay, this is a human. We have to step back and understand where's the problem. Is it communication? Is it interpersonal? Is it a skill set gap? Is it you know, like so for me, it's always like the reset. So yes, we all get stressed out. We've got this deadline. We're push, push, push. Um, we're running around. We're trying to make money, right? <laughs> but we we're not going to be successful if the people that we're working with are not also successful. And the amount of time and energy that it takes to train somebody, it's worth the effort and the maintenance to continue to train that person. Because if you just give up on them, now you got to start from scratch. You know, it's uh, the analogy that I like is sort of like a, a car. You buy a car, you don't just scrap the car because it needs an oil change. You have to do that preventative maintenance where you you make time. I schedule an appointment. I'm going to go get that oil change, right? So I'm going to schedule an appointment and I'm going to have a touch base with this person. You know, where are you at? How are you feeling? Where, what do you need from us right now? And it's not always, the conversation isn't always as easy as that because a lot of people aren't, don't open up. They're, they're not, they're like, ah, everything's fine. I'm, I'm good. You know, especially in technology, a lot of people are, you know, more stoic, I would say is, is the term I would use, but you know, it's really understanding their communication styles too. So, you know, as a manager, it's easier when you have a smaller team, but even when you have a large team, keep a file. What is this person's communication style? What is their preference for communication? Some people don't like to talk face-to-face. -face. Some people don't like to get on camera. Some people are really, really communicative through Slack or text message or phone Whatever it is that you found kind of brings that person out of their shell, you know, so communication method, communication style, and then getting to know them, you know, do they have kids? Do they have parents? Is somebody around them sick? Like, and that also takes time. But when you build trust in that way, people will open up. And then once you understand what their other external pressures are, then you can make better decisions on how you're communicating or know where their lovers are and how far they can be pushed. Yeah, it's that's those, um, you know, the soft skills for success, right? Because otherwise, you know, in, in IT, like you said, there's a lot of unique personalities and there. And and you probably come across this. What I found is that, you know, there's a lot of people in IT that they like to just be heads down. They just want to code all day long, 15 hours a day, right? They don't want to give presentations. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to get promoted. They're like, they no, just no, want, they just true. want to code. Like that's what they love to do. 
And sometimes businesses don't realize that and managers force them to say, you have to present, you know, once a quarter, you have to go to conferences, you have to do this. And, and you're making people do things that are uncomfortable for them. Um, And that just, you know, it creates a situation where they're, it's not healthy. And then, you know, eventually they get frustrated and they don't want to stay around anymore. Um, So you're building on those soft skills to get to know them and they can still, you know, achieve, you know, they can still achieve and grow and continue to grow. It's just different. And it's, it's at their comfort level and what they want to do and what they like. Yeah. Um, So you can, that, that, and that sounds like perfect people magic for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's perfect, but we're, we're going to keep working at it. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me a little bit about your book, uh, Kind Transparency. First of all, I absolutely love the name, Kind Transparency. I mean, Tell me what it's about and uh, why you decided to write it. Yeah, so it, it's really about kind of all the things that we just talked about, all the things that you know are really important to me that I've learned over time as an individual contributor from the people in my life that I felt really strongly that were great mentors. And then really what I found success in managing other people and not only just in a business environment, but these types of communication skills are very transferable to your home life, to your kids, to just people you meet out in the world. Um, so that's really, you know, what it's about. And the why is, uh, it's a funny story, actually, when I was a, a technical project manager for a large uh, experiential marketing company, and we had a very, very large customer and a very, very large project that wasn't going well. So we went into a meeting Customer was very unhappy. We had low expectations coming out of this meeting. We had a very long conversation and coming out of it, we actually got what we wanted plus additional business. So new business coming out of the meeting that we didn't have previously. I went back up to my office and my boss at the time, who was CIO, came in and he was like, hi, what what just happened? And he was like, how did you do that? And out of nowhere, I was just like, I just used kind transparency. And it it was just one of those things that came off, that roll off the tongue, and then it's stuck ever since. And I, I use it all the time. <laughs> so um, it did feel perfect for the name of my book. So I'm I'm slowly working through trying to, you know, you know things in your head, and it's very hard to kind of get it out on paper. You've written you've written a book as well, so I know that you understand a lot that. of work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's you know getting all the thoughts onto paper in a way that it's actually going to make sense to other people and flow well. Um, so that they can absorb it and use these tools and techniques to help them in their own life. So um, I would say probably I'm fingers crossed by the end of Q3, early Q4 is when I'd like to release it. So, you know, I will let you know. (laughs) That's great. And who is, who is like the ideal reader of kind transparency? Yeah. I mean, ideally everybody, right. But um, for me, I would, I would think maybe first time managers or people who are in a leadership position that may not have the management role, but still need to have these skills to work with people or lead people so that they can take that next jump in their career. um, And they may not be getting that support that they need. That's great. So, so tell me a little bit about you who, you know, being in tech and and being a leader, right. And and a, and a great manager, it sounds like, um, what do you, who are your mentors? Who do you go to when you need support? Yeah. So I've been very lucky in my career. I've had so many great mentors. Um, 
all, I would say almost all of my bosses throughout my career have been great. I mean, obviously there's, there's a handful there that weren't, but um, I have five or six different people that I can go to for different things. You know, I have sales leaders that I've worked with in the past who I can just kind of ping and say, I'm getting this weird vibe from this customer. Like what, you know, what should I say? Is this a trap? Um, and then I have so many female leaders in my life that have helped me grow, you know, sort of in the world of women in tech, you know, you have to make certain different decisions. You have to make, you have to say different things. So um, it's been very nice to have people that have modeled behaviors for me. Um, and to this day, I can still pick up the phone or send a text message and say, got a weird situation. You know, can we go get some coffee? Um, and that's, that's what I want to be for other people. So now that's what I'm, my next goal is really to, you know, find people that I can help in that way as well. That's great. Being a mentor to others, yeah. um, which is the whole purpose of why I have this podcast <laughs> to showcase people like yourself, um, you know, to be seen as mentors because we, we don't have enough of them in the world. I think there's, there's, um, there's always something, you know, there's always someone that can mentor you for something, right? We, we can all grow in every aspect of our lives. And I think, you know, have finding those mentors, finding those key individuals who uh, really inspire you that, that you can talk to when you need them. Uh, it's just so important for success. Absolutely. So what's, uh, what are your goals? Where do you see yourself in five years? Hmm. What do you strive for? Yeah. So that's always hard, right? You know, because a lot of times in your career, you go somewhere that you never even thought that you would have been or somewhere that you didn't even know existed five years ago, right? You know, I'm doing things today as COO that I would have never even contemplated, you know, five, six, seven years ago, um, you know, starting organizations, figuring out insurance, like all of the things that go into running a business that, you know, you would never think about. But um, next step for me really would be, you know, continuing to grow this business, maybe operating other businesses, um, you know, and then really teaching, you know, if, you know, if one day I no longer want to have a day job or, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? I would like to teach. I'd like to coach. I'd like to, you know, maybe write more books um, because that's really what I like enjoy doing, you know? So if I could choose what I wanted to do, I would plan children's birthday parties and I would teach people because, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the fun stuff. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to give back to the tech community. So I'd like to, you know, be more affluent in the community. I want to go to different events. I want to help give speeches and, you know, so hopefully I can do more of that over time. That's great. We definitely need more of that in the tech community. Um, how, how do you keep up, and speaking of which, how do you keep up with the latest technologies? Neil and I were having a conversation on AI just before this, and it's just growing in so many different directions. How do you make sure that you stay up to date? That is definitely hard. Um, I am a little spoiled because I have a gigantic community of tech resources and consultants that work for our company. So we have this you know, Slack channel where everybody's, you know, talking about the latest things, or if I have a question about something, I can just kind of shoot it out there. And I've got 30, 40 people that are very happy to just, you know, banter about it. Um, 
but you know, we also go to a lot of tech conferences. Like I'm going to a cybersecurity conference here on Thursday. Um, so I can hear from industry experts on, you know, what are they concerned about? Because if they're concerned about it in security, I want to be concerned about it. <laughs> so right. yeah. listening to people who are actually experts talk about the things that are going on other than it is better than just reading about it and making my own opinion, because sure, I have a lot of good experience, but I'd rather hear it from the experts and, you know, get to know them and, and really bring them into my network. So when I do have a question or I have a concern, I have that community of people that I can reach out to and really make sure that we're staying up to date. That's great. I love going to conferences, tech conferences. And, and it's funny because sometimes I'll skip some of the sessions and I go right to the developers because they always know what's going yep. on with the tech, how it's working, yep. what the issues are. Their opinions, right they're, and they're honest too. Yes. They're, they're not going to give you the fluffy answer. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're good to have in your network, you know. So if any tech, uh, anyone's in tech out there, that's definitely something you should do when you go to a conference. Yep. Um, all right. Well, we are out of time. Any parting words or where can people find you? I am on LinkedIn. Happy to take any connections at, you know, slash Amanda Fry. Um, very simple. So yeah, I'm happy to, to meet new people. And if anybody needs anything or, you know, I'm happy to give back to the community as well. Sounds great. Thanks for being on the show, Amanda. Great yeah, pleasure. Thank you. thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching bootcamp at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Every Child Can Learn with our host, Phil Maycomer. Phil, how are you? Oh, Neil, I'm very excited to discuss executive functioning skills and social and emotional learning curriculum in this episode. Absolutely. And today's question is, why is building an executive functioning curriculum aligned to social and emotional learning areas so important? And what specific areas should we teach related to relationship skills, Phil? Well, here's the new splash. We need to teach kids to build a bridge and not drive a wedge, simply put, because strong relationships in school can dramatically enhance a student's level of motivation and in turn promote learning. Students who have access to more strong relationships in school are more academically engaged. They also have stronger social skills and they experience more positive behavior. Now, the command center of our brain, as I call it, points us in either direction when it comes to maintaining relationships, the build a bridge or the drive a wedge. And we know that executive functioning skills 
help us to remember our goals and the steps needed to reach them, resist distractions along the way, and find a plan B when a plan A doesn't work out. But it is critical to remember that executive functions also help or hinder us in relationships. So whether those relationships are in school, like between a teacher and student, or student and student, or at home and in the community, specific executive functions strengthen relationships. If kids have a true understanding of them and can demonstrate them in the real world. Now, our guest in this episode, Catherine Woods, veteran director of student services, is one of my collaborative partners in this important area of brain-based skill building. Let me tell you a little bit about Kathy. For nearly four decades, Catherine Woods has ensured that children with disabilities have equal access to education. Early on in her career path, Kathy walked the walk in education, teaching both in special ed and in general education. This is why I feel that she really gets and clearly knows how to best support her staff, solving real-life problems in education. Kathy presents nationally on diverse educational topics, such as strategic planning, educational leadership, and the use of my research-based teaching framework, The PACT, as she has regularly co-presented with me at regional and national conferences on education for all and the importance of explicitly teaching executive functioning skills. I think so highly of Kathy's insights and knowledge base that I invited her to be a contributing author to my first two books, The Power of the Pact and Every Child Can Learn, Your Roadmap to Inclusive Education. And I'm quite proud to officially announce in this episode that Catherine Woods and I will be co-authoring the next books in the How Every Child Can Learn series, which we will center our topic in this podcast episode. And you'll hear more about this at the end of our episode recording. And they will both be released in 2024. So welcome, Kathy. Thank you, Phil. It is so wonderful to be here again with you on your podcast, talking about executive functioning skills as they relate to building relationships. And we know how important that is, right? You know, uh, so many of the kids that we see in school, whether they have been identified in special ed or not, have deficits in executive functioning skills. And these really impact a student's performance, both academically and in social emotional learning. So how do you see this? Like, can you give an example of a deficit in executive functioning skills and how it can impact a kid in school? Well, a student who, uh, for instance, is having difficulty with flexible thinking. 
might have trouble making plans with their peers. The peers want to go to see the X movie, but I, for instance, want to go see Y movie. Uh And if my flexible thinking is not strong, then I may end up not seeing any movie at all. And that might make me angry with my friends. Yeah, that's a really good example of the things that drive a wedge in peer relationships, right? And that could be at any age. That could be in elementary school, middle, or high, right? Oh, absolutely. And perhaps even in preschool, where students are learning the very basics of all the skills required to build and maintain relationships. That's true. That's true. How about an academic example of like how executive functioning skills could get in the way if they're a deficit for a kid? Uh, If a student is uh, having difficulty with impulse control Mm -hmm. and that executive functioning area, then they may be that student in the class that although they raise their hand, their mouth opens and the words tumble out at the same time that they're raising their hand. Oh, we don't know any kids like that, do we, Kat? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> and it reminds me of that show, Welcome Back, Cotter. Oh. And I, and I think it was Horshack oh. was the character who would do that. And he would say, ooh, 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 as he raised his hand three times. Perfect That's- example. Perfect example of that. And yeah, and it really does get in the way. So let's set the stage now for the focus of our discussion, okay? Because we know that we need to teach executive functioning skills to kids, but not just to get things done. Like I always describe, oh, executive functions help you manage yourself and manage what you need to get done but they also directly affect relationships. So you and I have done a lot of work in this area and are continuing to expand our work in this area. So could you list the like top categories of relationship skills as it relates to social and emotional learning? Sure, and I would list them in the order that I believe they need to go. And that is... uh, the skill of communication, Mm -hmm. relationship skills, teamwork, and lastly, social engagement. And I say that they need to go in that order because one skill builds on the next or is scaffolded. Yeah, exactly. And uh, when you said they, they, you really want to stress that, it means that it's following a developmental sequence, right? And that's so oh. important, as we know, especially as it relates to language. And language is totally aligned to relationship skills, right? Absolutely. Uh, and if you're not uh, building upon each skill level uh, and working through that, then you're going to have holes. And we know that when students have holes, especially in the area of language, that they uh, often are a little off the beat, so to speak, Mm -hmm. uh, in their interactions with their peers and with adults. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that you pointed out that it's both, right? It's definitely with their peers, but also with the adults. You know, I say all the time to in my seminars, in my public speaking events, or in my mentoring and coaching like consults. And we've done things under all the arena together. And kids do not care about how much you know. They want to know how much you care. And that's all about relationship skills, right? That's absolutely correct. And no child should go through school without having at least one trusted adult. And trust is built on relationships. And without these skills, then they cannot build that trusting relationship. And you know, Kath, you know, I always say, especially for the years that we've served in education, this is not our first rodeo, right? (laughs) (laughs) We know what works and we know what doesn't. And what doesn't work is just randomly focusing on these isolated lessons for social skills when kids do not really have an understanding of the in-depth at whatever level, elementary, middle, or high, or like you even pointed out, preschool, related to these key areas in step-by-step lessons and which executive functions, because I know they're all important, but you and I talk about this all the time. Everything can't be important right? You have to prioritize, which is an executive function, might I point out. So do you think you could prioritize some executive functions related to uh, your list of communication, relationship skills, teamwork, social engagement, all under the umbrella of relationships? Or you can, should we focus on? We should focus on emotional regulation, Yep. impulse control, flexible thinking or and flexible thinking yeah Um, those three areas i think are the the key areas that need to be prioritized uh when teaching social skills and social and relationship skills yeah yeah i agree do you think that just for our listeners just so you know me, I'm all about vocabulary and understanding the word meaning. <laughs> so can you just do, give like a an easy one sentence description for emotional regulation? Sure. When with emotional regulation, um, students will sometimes exhibit, uh, let's call it a reaction mm-hmm. that is far, far exceeding what the actual event requires. So uh, they may go from zero to 100 when really they only maybe need to go up to a 10. Um, And so emotional regulation provides the child with the skills to really judge the event and then determine the level of the reaction that's required. Yeah. And so uh, that's an excellent description of that. I'm going to summarize it for our listeners because I often do that in uh, my podcast. Size of the reaction matches the size of the problem because that's what you're saying, right? That is exactly what I'm saying. Okay. How about impulse control? How would you describe that? Uh, With impulse (laughs) control, you know, the boundaries that are frequently, (laughs) that are always in place in schools, um, 
And some of those are social boundaries can be seemingly ignored by a student. So that, as I gave the example before, the student that raises their hand, which is a structure in our schools, uh, they raise their hand, but they shout out the response or the answer to the question instead of raising their hand and then waiting to be called upon right. before they respond. And that is a great academic example. You know, related to relationship skills, that impulse control truly affects relationships because it's not just act. It's think, decide, act. You know how I mentioned before the build a bridge, don't drive a wedge? Yes. It's not what you say. It's how you say it, right? So here's your thinking bubble. Now let's make sure we put it into an appropriate talking bubble that builds a bridge and doesn't drive a wedge. That is teaching impulse control related to the work that we're doing, right? Like that's only one of the many examples that we have uh, to share with people in our uh, soon to be published books. But um, but yeah, impulse control is so important. How about flexible thinking? When a student is inflexible in their thinking, they may not be able to move on. They might get stuck. Oh, this so, is so important in relationships, Kath. Oh, absolutely. Right? So in a social situation, if you and I were going to lunch and I had already decided I wanted to go to uh, a steakhouse and you had already we might be going to go oh. to and if my thinking is inflexible i'm not going to be able to even consider that an italian restaurant might even have steak <laughs> very true so it's kind of like if you have a deficit in flexible thinking you're stuck in the mud and can't move to the next thing Right. That's right. And, yeah. and an academic example might be that the teacher says today we're going to write three paragraphs about springtime and nature. Mm -hmm. And the student can't get unstuck from the idea of writing about baseball that mm -hmm. occurs in the springtime. Yeah. Yeah. And so they get stuck and they can't even get started. And you know, Kath, all of these executive functions that you're referencing, emotional regulation, impulse control, and flexible thinking affect kids working in groups. And how often do kids work in groups? All the time in schools, right? Whether right. in their science project or the social studies fair or even partnering up with just one other student as opposed to a small group. This is important. And it's more about teaching in these moments than it is. And you know how I feel about this, Kathy Woods, about not giving kids just tools to use like the timer and the timeline and the checklist, right? And the fidget toy and, 
and and all of these things are good in isolation, but not in lieu of instruction. And we know that that doesn't work because we're still talking about teaching kids executive functioning skills. Teachers still struggle with kids. Kids still struggle with the executive functions. So how do you recommend developing curriculum? Because you and I are developing curriculum. We are. Let me just start with, if we don't have that direct instruction, the student will think that when I go to Mrs. Smith's class, I get to play with the squishy toys. And with when we add very specific step-by-step lessons and instruct the students about why this might be an important tool for them rather than a toy, then we really can make a difference for that student. And then they can learn that maybe when I go to the next class, I also need to have that tool in my toolbox so that I can then concentrate and complete my work. Creating a step-by-step lesson plan or and curriculum really can be uh, analogous to following a recipe. Yeah. So you, you have your learning intention or what the recipe is going to create, and then your step-by-step uh, directions about how to move forward, which could be your at-a-glance lesson plan. Mm-hmm. But you also need to have a list of the ingredients or the materials that you're going to use. Yeah. And when doing creating curriculum in that type of format, your lesson plan can be easily inserted into a graphic organizer that clearly outlines the learning intention, the materials you need, and then the at-a-glance lesson plan, and also a warm-up to get the students' brains in gear, so to speak, about what executive function they're going to be learning about. I love this, and it makes so much sense. Simple, straightforward, but meaningful. Now, you mentioned the word, the phrase, at-a-glance lesson plan, and I'm all about quick and easy, because you've heard me say this many times, Kathy, we have 180 seconds to go to the bathroom every day in education, right? Yes, sometimes less. (laughs) Sometimes less. That's right. And no lunch. So this book pair that we're coming out with for executive functioning and social emotional learning to improve relationship skills is a lesson planning guide, right? Exactly. So let's tell, oh, go ahead, hon. I was going to say that will make these books very practical for Mm -hmm. the reader. Very practical because you can just open it up and from the start of the book to the end of the book, you just follow the different lesson plan examples And you are explicitly teaching key areas, which are need areas, right? Related to relationship skills. 
in the developmental order that they should be taught, you will know what you will need. And a brief, because at a glance means it's not a term paper, right? Or a research paper. It's a, you could do it in a given day, right? And you, you could wrap your head around it. Correct. So, very easy uh, for us to be putting together. And so, so Kath, would it be okay if I talk about the part one and part two as we're ending here? Oh, please do. Yeah. So part one in this lesson planning guide on relationship skills and executive functions, we will be offering you communication and re- relationship skills lessons. And that recipe is using the pact. Learn about, read about, write about, talk about. There's one lesson in each one. And so it's a set of four lessons on a particular communication topic, on a particular relationship building topic, and so on. And so very easy and straightforward. Part two will be that same recipe guide for teamwork and social engagement. And Kath, I'm over the top excited to do this with you. This is so exciting. It's such a wonderful project and it will have a make a meaningful difference to all for all teachers out there, whether they be in a school-based setting or whether they be home educators or well, anything in between. Well, thank you. I'm very excited about it, and I hope that it will really make a difference to be released in 2024. So, Neil, what do you think? I think that the information you're covering is not talked about, especially with kids and how they're struggling with executive functioning and how really to develop it and and the creative the ideas that you're coming up with is just genius that's not been done. So it's great. It's great stuff. Well, thank you. And you could follow uh, both of us on social media, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. You can also go to aboutthepact.com. That's about, A-B-O-U-T, the, T-H-E, pact, P-A-C-T, dot com. And you will get join our mailing list and you will be up to speed about all this information and another great episode of every child can learn such a meaningful guest, Kathy, thank you for joining us. I look forward to having you back and for us to continue a conversation on social, emotional learning relationship skills. It has truly been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Well, Well, thanks again, Phil. Appreciate it. All right. That was Every Child Can Learn, guys. Take care. Back to the Neil Haley Show, and my guest today is John Lincoln, CEO of Ignite Visibility. Uh, John, thanks for stopping by, man, and uh, we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things, but tell me about your journey as an entrepreneur first. 
Well, I started the company about 10 years ago and uh, gosh, it's just been a blast ever since it, it started. And uh, we're now six timing 5,000 company, get to work with some of the biggest brands in the world. We started out with just uh, search engine optimization and paid media, but then we added social media marketing, email marketing, analytics, conversion rate optimization, creative. And now we offer seven different services. And that's kind of really our goal is just to offer best in class services, uh, you know, around one cross channel strategy for uh for the top clients you know that that we can serve so